How many of you realize, particularly in days like these, this is not our home? This is not our home. Are you aware of that? This is not our home. And, you know, I was praying this week about what to share and what to preach on and what to break open from the Word of God. And I really felt just, just directed in that, in that direction to talk about how this is not our home. Um, you know, the old song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I think God allows tough times to happen on earth. One of the things it accomplishes is it, it puts our eyes, the eyes of believers, onto him. Because the things of earth grow strangely dim. There's nothing in this world that is attractive it's full of hate. I mean, I love God's creation. Don't get me wrong. I marvel at it all the time. I'm amazed at God's creation, and I praise him for it. But I'm talking about the world system. It's ugly. It's full of hate, full of um, all kinds of things that are just, just uh, revolting. Um, they're turnoffs. They're just, it's just not good. And so I want to just talk to you today about this is not our home. And I want to I want to turn our eyes upon Jesus today. I want to get our eyes really turned on Jesus today. Amen? So reading out of John 18, verses 33 to 37, and um, if you have your Bible, I'm reading out of the New King James, and uh, you know, Jesus spoke in King James, but we use the New King James. You know, what scares me is when I hear people go, Amen. Jesus spoke in probably Aramaic and Koine Greek, um, and he knew Hebrew for sure. Of course, he's God. He knew all the languages. But anyway, John 18, 33, uh, we're in the middle of Jesus' arrest. He is being grilled by Pontius Pilate, and it says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again. <clears throat> called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? In other words, did you get this on your own? Did you come up with that question or did somebody ask you the question and now you're asking me? Verse 35, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Everybody go, ooh. Okay, you get that? And then Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Listen to Jesus' answer. You say rightly that I am a king. You say rightly. I'm a, you don't look very kingly, standing there beat up, crown of thorns on your head, abused. All your followers have fled and left you alone. You don't look very kingly. But Jesus said, you say rightly, I'm a king. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Bless it to our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Say with me, turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
Now, um, I love the Word of God. I read it every day. I'm not bragging or anything. I, I read it every day because I need it every day. How many of you need it every day? I gather that manna every day. I gather the manna. Children of Israel in the wilderness, they had to go outside their tents and gather the manna every morning or they didn't eat that day. And God was showing us a picture. The manna was from heaven. And now the Bible is our manna from heaven. We're to gather it every day. Now, here we see a a, a historical account of what went down when Jesus was arrested. He was run through kangaroo court. Every charge against him was made up. Uh, he was, he was crucified before he was crucified. They lied about him, slandered him. They, they huddled together in little groups to figure out what kind of lies they could tell against him. They, they threw everything they could at the wall until something stuck. And that's the way they were doing it. Now, he is before Pontius Pilate, a high up uh, political leader who will in just a few verses, order his crucifixion. And Pilate is asking him questions that I think Pilate had also heard rumbling around uh, from others, and he was relaying a question because he had heard people say, Jesus is a king. This Jesus has said he's a king, and there are people who think he's a king. And so Pilate wanted to know, are you a king? And he asked him two times, two questions. He said, are you the king of the Jews? And are you a king? Twice. Jesus' answer to Pilate is startling to Pilate. It doesn't make any, you got to put yourself in Pilate's shoes. He's a totally secular man. He's not religious at all. He's not Jewish, so he's not in Judaism. He's not practicing any kind of Old Testament. He is steeped in Roman gods. All he knows about God is the Roman gods, the pantheon of gods. Um, that they got from the Greeks. They just gave the Greek gods new names, but they had the same gods, Zeus, Athena, uh, Apollo, all these others. And that's the only gods that Pilate knew anything about. So here Jesus says, he says, well, let me tell you, Pilate, about my kingdom. Yes, I am a king, and my kingdom is unlike anything you are familiar with at all. My kingdom, Pilate, is not of this world. Now, immediately in Pilate, he's thinking, okay, he's a nut. Yeah, yeah, I'm a king, and my kingdom is not of this world. It's not comprised of a weaponized army where where soldiers are going to come in and deliver me from you and from the Jews. It's not the kind of kingdom you know anything about. And this was a head-scratcher for Pilate. Who would have told you that he knew about every kingdom that existed on the earth? And so what is this kingdom you're talking about, Jesus? But Jesus is telling him that he is a king, and he is a king of a kingdom that can't be seen on earth, that can't be walked into on earth, that is, in the natural. You must go by way of the king of the kingdom, Jesus. And if you don't go by way of the king of the kingdom, you'll never be in that kingdom. Now, so there's all this king talk, and Jesus tells him straight up. He doesn't hold anything back. That's what I love about Jesus. He was bold with the truth every time, no matter the consequences. And here's what he said. You rightly say, I am a king. Well, any king, folks, has a kingdom. Any king has a kingdom. If you don't have a kingdom, you're not a king. If you don't have a kingdom, what are you king of? 
You've got a kingdom if you're a king. Now, I want to hold that thought for a minute. Speaking of kings, we've just gone through a grueling election that has left some people happy and some people sad. And we've likely got a mix here in front of me. And those watching by streaming video, we welcome you today. And probably some of you in your living room, you're either happy or sad about the way this election went. Um, Tens of thousands of those who are sad and disillusioned uh, are that way. One of the reasons are because they clung to the words of people that went on social media and on TV and on radio and everywhere, uh, prophets who emphatically said that Donald Trump would serve a second term. Emphatically, thus says the Lord, he will serve a second term, a consecutive second term. He will serve eight years consecutively. And they prophesied it. They predicted it. You know what? I counted 40 or more. 40 or more. And I'm not talking about peripheral, uh, on the edges kind of people, although there were many of those as well. I'm talking about high up, highly visible, high profile, well-known, what, what some would call generals. I don't call anybody a general, but some people call you know, generals in the charismatic movement, highly visible people. And they said, in the name of the Lord, this will happen. And they said it starting from 2018 all the way up to the election. And so as a result, because it was all over social media and all over TV, tens of thousands, likely hundreds of thousands of people listened to that and, and fully believed it and put all their eggs in that basket. Now, I'm not going to go political on you. I want you to hang with me a minute because you need to understand a biblical truth. And that's my calling to give you a biblical truth. I'm not going political on you. If you're sad about the election, I get it. If you're happy about it, okay. I'm not, I'm not here to, to focus on that, but I am here to give you a truth we need to understand about prophecy. The words of these people, male and female, left no wiggle room at all. It wasn't like, well, he might, or maybe, or some other uh, nebulous, vague thing. No, it was emphatic. And now, the reason I'm addressing this as I get into this message is, believe me, it's going to end on a high note. Amen? I promise you. But the reason I'm addressing it is because now that it didn't happen... Some of these same leaders are blaming you, blaming the church. Uh, and that's when I get in here because I'm a shepherd and I don't want to see the church beat up for something that the church had nothing to do with. Okay, so here's the truth I want to bring you. Some of them are saying since the prophecies didn't come true, they're saying that um, it's the church's fault that they didn't support their candidate. Others are saying that Trump won, but it was stolen. Others are saying it's due to lack of faith. Always lack of faith. Always lack of faith. Whatever you happen to believe, I want to give you a bigger picture from a biblical perspective. Let me give you an indisputable fact from the Bible. Are you ready? Are you ready for a Bible fact? Let me give you a Bible fact. When God speaks a prophetic word saying that something will happen, no demon in hell or man on earth can stop it. Okay, now stay with me. When, when God speaks, now we're talking about God. See, another thing that bothers me about this is, is, is prophecy is being cheapened. 
when you say something emphatically, in, in, in the stead of God, in the first person, thus says the Lord, and you bring God into it, and then it doesn't happen, and then you say, well, it's this fault, the church's fault, and, and lack of faith's fault, or some other fault, and, and, or it would have happened, you're cheapening the whole concept of Bible prophecy. Because when God speaks, folks, let me tell you, no demon in hell or man on earth, no political rule, ruler, no political party, no shenanigans, no nothing can stop it from coming to pass because God said it. And, and is God not bigger than all circumstances? Is he not bigger than all men? I mean, is he literally hindered? No. When he says something emphatically, for instance, let me give you a for instance. When Daniel the prophet predicted, um, let me put it another way. Daniel the prophet predicted the rise and fall of four major world empires. Daniel the prophet predicted the rise and the fall of four major world empires, including which nation would displace and replace the next. Now follow me. The Babylonians, and Daniel was living among the Babylonians in the Babylonian captivity. They're the first one that Daniel predicted, prophesied about. Daniel said that Babylon was going to fall. And Daniel said it would be replaced by the Persians. And then he said the Persians will be replaced by the Greeks. And then he said the Greeks will be replaced by the Romans. Bang, 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 bang. Emphatically. And by the Spirit of God, he even described the characteristics of these nations. Right down to the personality of the rulers that would head them up. And his predictions took centuries to unfold. But he nailed four major world empires in one chapter. And sure enough, against all odds, in centuries of time, it went down just like he predicted just like he foretold, just like he prophesied. Don't you know there were a million and one things that could have gotten in the way of that coming to pass? But nothing did. Nothing succeeded. They unfolded one after another. The Persians took the Babylonians. Uh, the Greeks took the Persians. The Romans took the Greeks. Just like he said. Just like he said. Another example, God spoke through the prophets that his only begotten son would be born in Bethlehem, would become a Nazarene, would be a light to the Gentiles, would be betrayed for not 20 pieces of silver, not 10, not 40, 30. Zechariah, centuries before Judas turned on Christ. That he would die on an instrument of execution unknown to the prophet or to anybody in his day when he predicted it. The cross didn't exist. When Psalm, the, uh, the psalmist David wrote Psalms 22, they have pierced my hands and my feet. The cross didn't even exist. He'd be buried in a rich man's borrowed tomb. Who in the world could have orchestrated Joseph of Arimathea following Jesus 
And, and then when Jesus dies, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man who had bought a, a tomb for his own burial, said, can I put Jesus in there? The prophets had already foretold that centuries before. How do you orchestrate that? You're either real right or you're real wrong. Against insurmountable odds, it all happened regarding the life and death and burial and resurrection of Christ, just like the prophets said. But this did not happen with the prophets that predicted a second term for President Trump. As a result, tens of thousands of Christians that believe them are disillusioned. And my, my suspicion is many um, are drifting from the faith who are really young in the faith, newborns, because they go, well, if that wasn't true, what is true? That's, that, that's what bothers me. Now, you know that I believe prophecy is true. Lord, we just had prophecy. It's almost like the Lord did that so that you could see I believe in prophecy. But I also believe in just telling the truth. The bottom line is, if it didn't happen, they prophesied out of their own spirit. Not God's. And it's nobody's fault but their own. How dare they go banging up and beating up on the church? Because if God said it, it would happen. Moses wrote, this is the way to know. If the thing that he, a prophet, prophesies doesn't happen, now I'm reading the Bible here, it is not the Lord who has given him the message. He has made it up himself. You have nothing to fear from him. Bottom line, if God had predicted it, it would have happened no matter what men or devils did. And so, so if something is prophesied true, I'm going to point it out and say, look at that, that was true. But if it's, if it's false, if it's false, I'm going to say that was false and everybody else should say it too. And you know who else should say it? They should say it instead of beating up other people or, you know, looking to play the blame game. Reminds me of Adam and Eve. Remember when Adam and Eve fell and the devil was involved? As soon as God found Adam, he said, the woman you gave me, she made me do it. First blame game in all of history. And when the God turned to the woman, the woman said, the, the serpent did it. He made me do it. There's this huge blame game. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the devil. And God blamed them all. They're all culpable. And that's the way it is with this. So I, I just don't want to see real prophecy uh, uh, um, compromised or diluted or the, the understanding of it watered down. If God says a thing, listen, how many of you believe Jesus is coming back? Why do you believe it? Why do you believe that? Why do you believe that he's going to come in the sky and you're going up? Why do you believe it? Because prophets in the Bible have told us so. Well, if we're going to question, well, sometimes you hit it and sometimes you miss it, then I'm starting to wonder if the rapture is really going to happen because, hey, sometimes you don't have a perfect batting average if you're a prophet. No. When God says something in the Bible, it's going to come to pass. Jesus is coming back. Now, that said, I came today with a word of encouragement. Everybody say, praise God. <laughs> I want to look at two things we need to remember in order to put our minds off of distracting politics and onto why God has left us on this planet as believers. Amen? The first thing I want to point out is I've already said, this world is not our home. We've got to keep that in mind. No matter what the kings or kingdoms of this world do, this world is not our home. It's a temporary pit stop on the way to heaven. Amen. 
We're in a temporary hotel. It's like we've rented a hotel, but we didn't, we're, we're not living in the hotel forever. We're only here temporarily. One day we're going to check out of this hotel and go to the place where we will live forever and forever and forever and forever. As born again, blood-bought Christians, we serve a king and we serve a kingdom that transcend all the kingdoms of this world. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, and since it's not of this world, neither is ours, because we are his and he is ours, and his banner over us is love. And if we have been adopted into the family of God, when Jesus said, this world is not my home, he meant that includes all of those who follow him. We're only passing through, and it's a blink in time. It's a blink sandwiched between two eternities. The Bible says, listen to what the Bible says about you and me. He, God, he, God, rescued us from the power of darkness and brought us safe into the kingdom of his dear son. The moment you were saved, you changed both kings and you changed kingdoms on the spot. Satan is the evil taskmaster that we once served. But when we got saved, we got delivered from his power, delivered from his rule, delivered from his ownership. And we got translated into the kingdom of the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom of the king. The one who said, you said rightly, I'm a king. Well, uh, we've been translated into the kingdom of that king And so our ruler now and our savior now and our guide now and our healer and our peace and everything good and great that comes to us now comes from King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the King of the kingdom of God. Come on, everybody. Now, what I want us to understand is when we changed kingdoms, we became citizens, citizens of our new kingdom. We became citizens. Listen to Philippians 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven. You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Jeff. My citizenship is in America. Yeah, you're an American citizen. Great. But you know what? You're not staying here because you have another citizenship. Uh, This one is temporary, but, but the one in heaven is eternal. You have an eternal citizenship in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, citizenship means we're under a brand new government. Amen? We're under a brand new government with a new king, and please understand this, new laws. Now, do we have to wait till we're in heaven to uh, walk in the kingdom of God, to enjoy the kingdom of God? No. Jesus said the kingdom of God is in your midst. And it's, it, how is the kingdom of God in our midst? In the presence of Christ. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, then we've gotten a taste of the kingdom to come. The Bible says in Ephesians, it's a down payment. The Holy Spirit living inside of us is a down payment of what is coming. So think of the peace. Think of the joy. Think of the clear conscience. Think of the fellowship we have with him. Think of the glory. Do you remember when you were saved and how it felt when you had peace with God for the first time in your life? You remember that peace? That's a tiny foretaste of what is coming in its fullness. 
And what is that? The kingdom of God. But we don't have to wait to get to heaven to enjoy the kingdom of God now. Because Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God now. So, so we're in a new kingdom. We have a new king. And this new kingdom has new rules and, and, and principles for living. And you know where you find those? I mean, beautifully, you find those in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You, you know what Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is? Sermon on the Mount. You know what the Sermon on the Mount is? It's the rules. It's the, it's the constitution and bylaws of the kingdom. It is the rules for living in the kingdom of God. It's the new laws and rules for how we operate in the kingdom of God while we're still on earth. How we move and have our being in the kingdom of God here and now. It's beautifully told in the Sermon on the Mount. You ought to read it with a pen, with a marker. Section it off. Because it runs in themes, one theme after another after another. It is a kingdom where? The kingdom of God? Here's what it looks like. Here's what characterizes it. It's a kingdom where forgiveness is a required lifestyle. Forgiveness is a required lifestyle. It's where prayer is offered for enemies. That's the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of this world, you go whoop your enemy. In the kingdom of God, you pray for your enemy. In the kingdom of God, it's a kingdom where worry is forbidden. Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry, Jesus said, about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, or don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of its own worries. Sufficient for the day are the worries thereof. It is a place where daily prayer is practiced, the kingdom of God. That's the rules of the kingdom, the principles of the kingdom. Daily prayer is practiced. It's where material things are secondary to spiritual riches the kingdom of God. It's where judging others hypocritically is forbidden. It's where the king of the kingdom is number one. It is where the teachings of the king are the guidebook for life and living. Uh, you know, I wake up every day and here's what you've got to say to yourself. A lot of people wake up and they say, well, I'm an American citizen, but you know how we ought to wake up? I, I'm a kingdom citizen. I'm a kingdom citizen. And I have a king, and his name is Jesus. And kingdom rule, the kingdom of God. I'm in the kingdom of God right now. Not, not when I go to heaven. Oh, yeah, it'll, we'll be consumed by it there. But right now, we have been translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son now. So I'm to live according to kingdom principles and kingdom rule. And that's the way, that's, some people say, you know, I used to be a Christian, but it just didn't work for me. No, Christianity did not fail you. You failed to walk according to the rules of the kingdom. So in this world, we're in it, but we're not of it. We're, we live in it, but we're not staying here. We're just passing through. We've got a king and we've got a brand new kingdom. Can we thank the Lord for that? Amen. 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 The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. Righteousness, peace, and joy. And if you're experiencing that, you're experiencing the kingdom that Jesus brought you into. Amen. I could preach so much more on that, but I'm going to move on to the second thing. The second part of our bigger picture. So that's number one, the bigger picture for me. 
the bigger picture is, this is not my home. So, you know, if things don't go the way we always want, then you go, you know what, though? This, this is not my home. Because I serve a king who never fails, who has never voted in or out, who is there forever, who is a good king, a loving king, a fair king, a just king. And the kingdom he gave to me, the kingdom he brought me into is of righteousness in him and peace in the spirit of God and joy in the Holy Ghost. So I remember that and I focus on that and I turn my eyes onto Jesus. Now the second part of the bigger picture is God is sovereign over all nations and all kings. I want you to say with me, God is sovereign. Now I want you to catch that. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. That means God is sovereign over the whole world and everything that happens in it. God is sovereign over it. He's king over it. He's Lord over it. He's the boss, applesauce. Amen? He's never helpless. He's never frustrated. He's never at a loss. He is in complete control of everything that happens in his universe. He is sovereign. And one verse says, I do what I want. And that's what God says. He's not, listen, when God wants to do something, he will do it no matter what men say or do, no matter how many demons resist him. God will do what God has decreed to do. That's why Christ is coming back no matter what. That's why the Antichrist is going to be consumed by the fire out of the Lord's mouth, no matter what. That's why there is going to be a thousand years of peace where the lion lays down with the lamb, no matter what. That's why there's going to be a great white throne judgment where everybody is judged. It's going to happen no matter what. And we're going to be with him for all time, ages upon ages, enjoying the glory and bliss of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, no matter what. Sovereign. He's sovereign. It may not always look like it, but the fact is that no ruler of any kingdom, listen carefully to me, no ruler of any kingdom remains in place one second beyond the permission of God. The Bible says it is God alone who judges. He decides who will rise and he decides who will fall. And I trust that. For instance, when the kingdom of Babylon was in its prime, listen carefully to this. I love the book of Daniel because if you want to put one word, stamp one word over the whole book of Daniel, it would be sovereignty. God's sovereignty over the nations of the world. When the kingdom of Babylon was in its prime, Daniel predicted the temporary downfall of its king, King Nebuchadnezzar. He told King Nebuchadnezzar that he was going to live like an animal in the fields until, now listen to the until, until he realized, now I'm quoting Daniel 4 verse 17, until Nebuchadnezzar, you realize that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets it over the lowest of men. Nebuchadnezzar, you think you're all that in a bag of chips. You think you're great, Nebuchadnezzar. But let me inform you, God puts you where you are. 
And until you realize that, that you're not there because of your greatness, your brains, your charisma, your giftedness, you're not there because of that. You're there because God put you there. Until you realize that, you're going to be on all fours eating grass like a cow, growing fingernails like a hawk, and you're going to be out there in the fields until you realize that it is God who judges. It is God who raises up. It is God who rules in the kingdom of men. He gives it to whomsoever he wants to, and he sets it over even the lowest of men. And when you realize that, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be restored to your sanity and to your kingdom. In other words, God's the boss of his universe. And of everybody who comes into power and authority, God is boss of it. And when Babylon was about to fall to the Persians, just like Daniel had said, Daniel prophesied to their last king, Belshazzar, the son of Nebuchadnezzar. He prophesied to him that Babylon was finished, watch this everybody, that very day. Daniel looked at Belshazzar and said, Babylon is done today. Today. He did not know that at that very moment, Persian armies were marching towards Babylon. He did not know that that night Belshazzar would be killed and the Persians would conquer Babylon before the sun rose. But it happened just like he said. The Bible says that very night Belshazzar was slain and the Persians took Babylon that night and conquered it and ruled over it before the sun rose. In this fading world, everybody, all kings die. All presidents die. All dictators die. And few of them are ever even remembered. Paul talks in 1 uh, uh, Corinthians 2, verse 6, Paul talks about the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. The rulers who are coming to nothing. But here's my encouragement to all believers today. God is sovereign over everything that goes on in this world. So we can trust him no matter what goes down. He has not given up sending people to preach the gospel. The church is not done. No, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church is not over. The light is not quenched. It is not, listen, the curtain hasn't come down on history. No, it is still time to win souls. It's still time to walk with God. Can I tell you, there is one king, one name, that unlike all the others will remain forever and will never come down, and that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not coming down. He'll never fade. Other kings have come and gone. Other kingdoms have come and gone. And most of them have at one time or another challenged Christ, our king, with either weapons or intellect. But they've all died and faded into the ash heap of history except the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He is more prominent now than he was in the first century. And soon and very soon, a trumpet is going to blow. And the king of kings and the Lord of lords is coming back to this planet. And we're going up. Everybody say up. Say with me, I'm looking for the upper taker. And and we're going up to be with him. And he will rule the world forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So let's turn our eyes upon Jesus. Stand with me, would you? Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus. I want us to turn our eyes 
on our heavenly, soon-coming, triumphant, victorious, redeeming, soul-saving, life-changing, devil-stomping King of Kings. And let's put our hand to the kingdom plow and carry on with kingdom business because I believe the day is short. The night is at hand. Christ is soon to return. But we have a window of opportunity in 2021. And I'm not going to let COVID stop me. I'm not going to let a new administration stop me. I'm not going to let the, the antipathy of those who don't love my Savior stop me. I'm not going to let persecution stop me. I'm not going to let any of those things stop me. I want to be able to say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. There is henceforth laid up for me a crown of righteousness, uh, not only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. No, folks, it's time to get down and go forward in kingdom business. Amen? Amen, amen. I see y'all got me so worked up, I've already sweated through my shirt. No, I'll tell you what's got me worked up is the Word of God works me up. The Lord Jesus works me up. And I think we have a great opportunity right now as Turning Point Church to bring in the harvest. The harvest is white. The laborers are few. Are you going to be one of the laborers? You're going to be one of the laborers? Yeah, we're going, to, we're going to put it in high gear and we're going forward. Amen? And I trust the sovereignty of God in all things, even the election. Can we lift our hands to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to say with me, I'm a child of God. I have a new kingdom, a new king, new rules to live by. My kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It will never go away. Lord, in Jesus' name, help me to advance the kingdom of God. Per the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Where did he say? In earth. Let the kingdom be advanced in earth before we go to heaven. And Lord, in Jesus' name, help me to get in the game and do my part to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give him a hand of praise today? Thank you, Lord. 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 Amen. How many of you are excited about the Lord? You're not excited about what's going on in America, but you're excited about the Lord. Amen. You know, um, Paul, when Paul wrote the epistles, the most horrible emperor to ever uh, occupy earth, Nero, was in place. Wicked beyond words. I can't even tell you some of the things Nero did in mixed company. He's perverted, wicked, evil, liar, a type of antichrist. But what did Paul write under that rule? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. He said, let's get on with it. And under that ruler, they turned Jerusalem upside down with the gospel. Amen? Well, I hope you're encouraged today. I hope you leave encouraged. And you know that our king is ruler over all. Amen? Amen. We love you.